Hello and welcome to Music Speaks. This podcast dedicates itself to how music impacts people's lives. For this show, we usually have two co-hosts, myself, Hunter Sagona, and my other co-host, Sean Rimkunas. Sean and I believe that many people have a playlist that makes their life unique through music. We pride ourselves on building upon our musical knowledge with our featured guests, jamming to incredible music, talking about a wide variety of artists and composers, and everything in between. Here's today's musical quote. So much of what we do is ephemeral and quickly forgotten, even by ourselves. So it's gratifying to have something that you have done linger in people's memories. John Williams. Today we will sit down with podcast newcomer Joseph Melvin. Joseph is an orchestral composer, pianist, author, former podcaster, gamer, and just to round it all out, first responder. And during the episode today, we will discuss some of his musical preferences, how and why he writes his own music, as well as the new book he is writing. So without further ado, let's welcome Joseph to the podcast. All right, and we are on with mr melvin how are you what's uh what's up? I'm, I'm good man how are you i'm wonderful it's nice that we finally get to meet in person here well quote unquote <laughs> in person um in some way now the first thing i'd like to talk about is uh obviously you know your your day-to-day job is not music related but obviously your your passion and your your hope career is is music um so what was your first introduction to music? Did you come from a musical family? You know, did you have an exposure at an early age? Um, it's, it's my music, my family is not musical. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it, they always, you know, listen to, to eighties, uh, seventies, eighties music. And I was, I was always the uh, soundtrack infested individual in the family. Right. Oh, team. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so I'd always be the guy without lyrics. Um, and and so when it came to actually making music or, or uh, playing music, I had piano lessons um, in second grade. Uh, in seven years after that, so I went out of it towards uh, sophomore year, junior year of high school, um, and then started doing my own thing. Uh, so by 2015, I was out of lessons and composing by myself. Um, mm-hmm. I started out using a little mini uh, recorder handle. Um, I forgot the name of it all right, but it, it was like a little mini recorder and you just sit it on top of the piano or anywhere that was helpful. And I would just play and record my music from that. And that's how I produced my first album, which mm-hmm. you, know, you could definitely tell the difference between that and mm-hmm. everything else I've made because of the, uh, I, I didn't know that there was other software out there that I could use that made the sound better right Um, so so you definitely see a progression of uh music quality from my first album into everything else i made um so yes 2015 i started and then didn't stop um till now honestly i've just been i've been making i used to make albums Mm -hmm. and now i'm just progressively going towards singles because they take a (laughs) less amount of time um so but yeah Oh, that's very cool. I I should just say the ignore the bell that you hear. It 
I don't know who makes a clock to go off every 15 minutes, but we have a clock in here that does. So every 15 minutes, you'll hear a little dun, 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 dun. And you're like, okay, whatever. It's, you know, it's, it's totally fine because uh, in the podcast I used to uh, be a co-host and we always had a bulldozer come by like every <laughs> 30. So. <laughs> who drives a bulldozer that consistently? Uh, it's, it's. I blame I blame the local companies. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. Especially at a university. Oh God, do you live near one? I uh, used to. Uh, oh, over at that at time. Evering. Yep, at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we just happened to be in an apartment complex where they just felt like they had to be on site every day. But it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I the college I went to, they started doing construction work on it to do some renovations, like maybe my sophomore, junior, I can't remember. And it was just like, you'd hear the constant backup of trucks and you're like, you just tune it out after a while. (laughs) And we had a project where uh, we had to find ambient sound and like put it into a a program and use it to make like, uh, you know, music more or less. It was a project for music tech class. And the teacher was like, guys, you got loads of, uh, you just walk outside this room and hold up your phone and <laughs> find something because either the truck's backing up or things are crashing. That's, oh my gosh. It's yeah. so funny. Um, <laughs> so in regards to your, your training, I guess, as you, as you would say, did you have any compositional training up to that point or was it just sort of using what you knew about the piano from your lessons to... Yes, it was yeah. literally, I, I used everything I could from my lessons. It was every, all the compositions. Um, I did not have teaching at all for that. Um, mm-hmm. It was all self-taught. So I had, to, I had to research, look up the right software or program to use to, to put sheet music down, um, right software program to use to record music. Um, yeah, and, and I actually found Logic Pro X um, beginning. best $200 I've ever spent on a music software like yeah. easy yeah man, man. Hmm. I've been using it ever since so interesting I've, I've heard of it I just I've never used I usually use finale if I need it no, um, because good. It, yeah, good. yeah I mean it's not anything extravagant and it's not like the best but I mean usually when I'm doing something I'm just arranging so I don't do much original composition so I'm just arranging something for like a clarinet quartet or, you know, a, take a piano piece and turn it into like a small ensemble work. So it's not like, I don't, I just need the actual sheet software, you know, like actually write, uh, putting it down onto sheet music. Um, but cause you, you know, there's software that'll like transpose as you play it, it'll put it up on the, um, up on the sheet. I know GarageBand does that, but that's not like, you know, high. Well, it's, I actually, I found a way to make Finale do that as well. Cause, cause oh, I, had really? a, I had a MIDI cable on my Yamaha and I literally, I plugged it into the computer and there was like this little, um, uh, uh, icon that they specialized in for transferring music. And so I literally record, I mean, it wasn't, you know, accurate, accurate, like a hundred percent accurate. Cause that's what we want is like everything to be spot on with uh, time scales and measures um so it would be a little messy but it would still uh do its job but but yeah finale sounds good that was a good uh, simple um program to use for sure. yeah now 
you know, obviously we'll, we're going to talk more in the later sections about the actual music itself. But as I mentioned, your day job is not in the music field. Right. Uh, how did you get into the, the medical field? Is um, that what you went to college for? Uh, yes, uh, I majored in uh, molecular biology. Um, oh, on. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it was a little um, bit of a roller coaster uh, for four years, but I, I decided I wanted to become a cardiologist back in sixth grade, um, and and I shadowed a cardiologist throughout high school um, to prepare for all that stuff. Uh, but of course, majoring in biology is not always um, anatomy based, so you know mm -hmm. I had to go through calculus and physics. Oh, um, ev yeah, everything no. that was not anatomy. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, dig myself a grave with that one. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, I've always seen music as a hobby, um, mm -hmm. as, as a as a good hobby. You know, as a nice avenue to get away from the stresses of uh, the medical world, because medicine is filled with a lot of ego, um, a mm -hmm. lot of uh, self want and pursuit so it can really uh, create a lot of stress and I think that music's provided a very beneficial avenue for me to get away from all that um, and and I think you know because there's a lot of people that just want to focus on piano mm -hmm. uh, which I totally respect I mean I consider myself a pianist as well which is you know how I create all my music but in the first place but I, I definitely feel there's there's a, a more powerful aspect to an orchestra um if you if you i mean if you combine a piano to an orchestra all the more power to you because mm -hmm. that's literally in my personal opinion the greatest uh piece that you could write is when you combine a string or like a cello with a piano i mean that is true music but it, individual like the two of them as a duet or you mean just yeah, like a other string section as a duet if you oh, as yeah, a duet. The piano with strings oh man yeah Interesting, because like, so you're so you're a fan of piano concertos, then, yes. like, yes. with a with a full orchestra, usually with a solo pianist. Yes. Interesting. There are a lot of really cool uh, piano concerto. Well, in the plural in Italian is concerti. Uh, there are a lot of cool piano concerti that I found just on YouTube that like you'd never know the person. The person was not well known, or they're like you know from some small European country in you right. know, Eastern Europe. And they taught at some university and they were, you know, and their music, thanks to YouTube, has, has become known just by being out there. Right. And uh, I'll have to send you some of the links for them because some of them are very, very cool. Wow. Yeah, man. Um, Speaks volumes. Yeah, it, it, it certainly can. Uh, my last question uh, before we uh, before we take a quick break and start talking about the, yeah, your music, music preferences, is just back to the looming elephant, you know, sort of in everyone's lives, which is the pandemic. Um, how has uh, the pandemic affected both your work life and your compositional life? Do you think it's had, well, I assume obviously on your work life, but your other as well? Uh, yes, uh, I, I would definitely say both. Um, when the pandemic started, which was about what February, late Jan January, early February of last year, um, mm -hmm. I started on In the this, one year mark. Yeah, right. <laughs> Jeez, man, uh, feels like a century. It does. <laughs> um, I started this album. It was called Together We Can, uh, 
and and I was really focusing heavy on the aspect of unity, um, which is something I think America definitely uh, uh, has underestimated um, recently. But you know, it's it's it was definitely about coming together and, and just appreciating that unity aspect uh, for a pandemic that that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I released it in April or May, but but in in the retrospect of influencing my music. Um, the, pande- the pandemic definitely influenced that album or else I never would have created it uh, if it wasn't for the pandemic. Um, and of course, you got, you know, my side job as an EMT as well, which is <laughs> <laughs> 100% influenced. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, yeah. yeah. I was just curious because my sister had a, or she has a friend who is an EMT in one of the cities near us. And uh, they were called from their jobs to go work in new york for a month oh, um, yeah. and that was in like i can't remember it was i think maybe may into june they were and because i guess that was the sitting hard yeah. yeah that was the height of it and i i didn't know if like you know with raleigh being a big city near you i didn't know if you had anything similar happening um we we had a lot of the the majority of our cases um in North Carolina's cases, my county was in top five uh, in terms of just cases, not deaths, but but cases. Um, right. Uh, the the county, of course, that housed Raleigh had the most deaths. Um, the Appalachian Mountains along there, that was like second. But Moore County, uh, we were, I think, fifth. Um, and that was the majority of nursing homes. <clears throat> A lot of nursing homes really had... Um, at bad with outbreaks because uh, we, we'd have we'd have to gown up in, in hazmat suits um, which we don't anymore just because of protocol but but used to we used to every single call go in with the hazmat suit um, sweat our balls off and take care of a patient so yeah that's yeah. <laughs> that's not fun I, <laughs> I was I was talking or we were talking with another guest about this but we were saying how you know at the end of all of this much like you did with, with the album you released in April, there's going to be, I think, a lot of people coming out with works in the next couple of years oh, where you're going to see the, either the subject matter or the, the feel of it. It's going to be a little darker. Yeah, I agree. You know, and, agree. and clearly an allusion to all of this, much like in the, year, in the months after 9-11, there were a lot of um, severe... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, maybe not severe is the word, the uh, very intense allusion to the traumatic event. It, yes. Uh, basically, we're going to have a lot of, oh, I remember when, dot, dot, dot. Right. You know. I think that's a good, yes, that's very true. You're going to see a lot of those posts online too, where it's going to be yeah. like, especially in like 10 years, where were you when we were in hashtag, quarantine? Hashtag on this day or hashtag on this year. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> That's funny. All right. We're going to take a quick break, sponsored by our friends at Anchor. And then when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about your music preferences. Uh, quick shout out to listeners. If you would like to support this podcast, please go to anchor.com and search Music Speaks Podcast to find ways to reach out to us. And you'll find our social media handles, which we'll mention a little bit later, and ways that you can contribute to the podcast. All right. We will be right back. All right. And we are back. 
with Joseph, and we are going to be talking about some of his, in this part, preferences for, you know, musical preferences, and some of his compositions and works. So, first things first, sort of, you know, we talked about your musical background, but in terms of your, your actual musical tastes, do you have a favorite genre that you listen to day to day? You mentioned already a little bit. Yeah, um, it's, it's, I, I'd say I pushed the number up to 90% in terms of soundtrack listening. Um, it, it's quite contagious for me, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's uh, car rides, um, <laughs> exercise even sometimes. I, I listen to, um, let's see, Hans Zimmer, Steve Jamblonsky, uh, uh, Alan Silvestri, mm -hmm. uh, James Horner, John Powell. I mean, like, I can go on with these guys, um, but it's it's definitely up there with 90% of my listening um, uh, style. Uh, others are, like, um, I love 80s music. Uh, I love uh, the classic 2000 hits. Um, so, like, from 2000 to 2010. Um, that would be our childhood. Yeah, man, seriously. Because <laughs> I think I saw, I forget where it was. I, you were born, what, 96? Yeah, 96, yeah. Okay, so we're the same age. I just, I'm born in February, and I, I don't know when you are. Uh, December. Okay, yeah. I saw, because I saw your age pop up somewhere, and I was like, oh, okay, we must be roughly the same age. <laughs> yeah, so you can, you can definitely uh, relate then with that, that kind of music. Uh, oh, yeah, I know, I know exactly the kind you're talking about. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's the majority. Um, when, <laughs> when I'd like accidentally unplug my headphones or something, and, and the music's like blaring on my phone, and Everyone's like looking at me like, what the hell are you listening to? <laughs> oh, those parts of the Caribbean. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's good. It's, you'd love it, really. Yeah, right. It's, it's the third movie. <laughs> I had the, a similar experience. I, I'm a big soundtrack fan. You know, I, I think some of the best composers work and have always worked in the film industry. Right. Um, even dating back to the silver screen era, you know, you know early film, even, you know, silent films, um, they've always had some of the best composers in, in modern times. Um, but my, my foremost love is uh, like 40s swing, big band oh, yeah. era. Yeah. So when, and I had a similar experience where when I was going to the guy who first taught me piano, I, <laughs> he was like, what are you listening to? And I unplugged it and it was Moonlight Serenade by Glenn Miller. And uh, I was like, oh, because he had this like befuddled look on his face and he was like, not what I was expecting. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I, especially that time period is um, with, with that uh, very uh, groovy, jivey music where, mm -hmm. where the dancing would be like electric um, it was a great time period for sure with me. It was, you know, despite, you know, obviously it had flaws, but despite all that, I think, you know, it was probably a pretty decent time to live in. Oh yeah. Um, yep. and, I, and obviously music was great. So, um, in terms of the soundtrack music that you listen to, you know, you rattled off some, some heavy hitter names, but do you have a favorite? Uh, yes. Um, I, I, I'd like to say John Williams, uh, yeah. not to be biased, uh, but you know, Hans, Hans Zimmer has done some great things. Um, I mean, Alan Silvestri with the, the Avengers theme song mm -hmm. you know, or, or uh, uh, Star Trek, you know, that was, that was his work too. Um, but, but I'd say John Williams because for a man to 
to to not just create the theme for for Star Wars, mm-hmm. uh, but but you know, with the extension of the prequels, he was he was able to compose literally separate music that emphasized certain characters. Mm-hmm. You know, he literally into Yoda, um, to the Order sixty six march, to when Anakin becomes Darth Vader. I mean, all of these different songs that highlight all these iconic scenes in one movie. I mean, we're not talking about like an entire saga. We're talking about just one movie in itself, like Revenge of the Sith, man. I mean, how many songs in that album can we just separate because of how huge and how magnificent they are? Oh, I know. Um, and and I feel like Battle of the Heroes always gets the gets the praise, and I love it, but, you know, there's so much else in that. Yeah, or, or like Duel, Duel of the Fates, mm-hmm. you know, um, in, 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 like I said, Yoda, Yoda's theme is, is, is iconic, or uh, uh, the, the love theme between Padme and Anakin, uh, yep. Anakin is, is, is exceptional. Um, I mean, of course, I can, I can say some great things about the sequels in terms of just the music but uh <laughs> with with everything else though he's he's done a magnificent job and that's star wars is just one thing on his entire list uh of compositions i mean he has done a lot of things in his life that have really made a huge impact on a lot of people mm-hmm. well when you think about it all of his uh like think about the major iconic movies of the 80s right uh, 70s 80s I mean, he has a hand in almost every one of the, the iconic, uh, I don't want to say series, but yeah, I guess series, right? I mean, because you have Jurassic Park, you have Indiana Jones. Yeah, Indiana Jones. Have, <laughs> right. That, that alone, you know, is one of those really, you hear the theme, you know exactly who it is. Right. But it, I mean, Jaws, right? I mean, it's his theme song and it, it's two notes. Right. Literally two notes, man. It, literally, <laughs> I, <laughs> I see this all the time for, for, because we get it, but mm-hmm. it's like some of these composers, they just sit down, play two notes. I mean, how Hans Zimmer with Batman, mm-hmm. I mean, he just plays a D minor chord and makes it into a major by just raising his last two fingers into a major. And I literally just sit there and I'm like, I could have done that any day of the week. <laughs> and, 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 so, and so for this man to use just a section of French horns and do this and make an entire album just out of those two notes because mm-hmm. you go through that album from dark Knight, and every single song he plays includes those two notes it either starts with those two notes or ends with those two notes and so i'm just like wow man kudos to you for making millions on something that we could have done ourselves yeah <laughs> but it, it takes a good mind to do that stuff and and they have it so it does. It's also, you know, like there's an artistry in the, in the way that it's done. And I think that's the hard part. Um, because like you said, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out, okay, I'm going to move those two fingers up to make the major chord. But, you know, the, the timing when it's done, the, the instrumentation, the, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The uh, texture by which it's done, like, you know, I guess, suppose that's still instrumentation, but well, no, it's more orchestration. All of it is stuff that makes the composers who they are. It gives them their sound. It gives them their a style. structure. Right, a style. A style. That's exactly a what it is. Style, right. 
and, and there's something about Hans Zimmer that differentiates him from everybody else. And I figured it out like recently um, is, is, and I like it. it. It's, you know, he starts off with a repeating note, mm-hmm. right? Every single movie or, or, you know, that uh, he just released a, a new album with a guitarist. Uh, it's on Netflix, the Netflix original um, with Amy Adams in it. Uh, Hillbilly Elegy, I think it's called. Oh um, yeah. I've heard of it. He, he composed that. Oh, I didn't know that. And, and well, if you listen to one of the songs, uh, first song, actually, it starts off with one note uh, from either a violin or a guitar or um, something that just maintains one note. Then he just expands everything off that one note. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even Dark Knight, that D chord, the D minor chord, one note expands everything else off of that. Um, yeah. Gladiator, uh, 2001. Uh, with Russell Crowe, like there's there's one song in there um, with the it starts out with a guitar, one note, expands off of that. So it's it really is unique how mm-hmm. these composers um, work their magic. Uh, Parts of the Caribbean, yeah, um, with Jack Sparrow's theme, uh, one little simple melody. Ing of a brilliant soundtrack um yeah yeah it's cool stuff man it is it's it's very i mean i find it you know that's the magic of all of all composers right i mean it it takes a certain mind to to be able to do that and uh you know i, I don't know if you did you ever see the show the crown it's on netflix yes oh yes yeah, yeah. He, he composed that on right TV. exactly that was his well he wrote the theme for it and then rupert gregson williams did the first two seasons and Martin Phipps did the second two, and I don't know who they're going to choose for the third two, but... Um, you could Rupert, distinguish the difference in that, too. Oh, yeah, definitely, right? I mean, that's a good example of, of themes that are meant to coexist, right? Because it's the same show, but they're just different enough that you realize it's different composers. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Um, and, and, and it's phenomenal because you can feel, by using an English horn... Mm-hmm. you immediately can feel the time period yeah you very know, like he, hans hans just puts you in it immediately with with that first theme and then martin did a phenomenal job season three like at the end um the season finale uh i listened to it and it's like during the scene where the queen's like getting in her carriage and she's like slow moting the whole ride down um the palace and into london mm-hmm. and so does this beautiful song that like it's it's between french horns an english horn and some brass and some low cellos mm-hmm. so you just feel this energy just flowing and it's like elizabeth's coming into this fruition of this is her job nothing else matters mm-hmm. it's a very interesting it's very interesting the way the choice of like you you mentioned this like flowing sense like that the energy is flowing that's really the best way i think to to describe phipps's work in those two in those two seasons because he his music is not very melodic in that right. you know what i mean it's very ambient and i, I feel like that's and and so is so is uh, rupert gregson williams but i feel like that ambient sound still conveys a sense of like a theme right i mean there's very clearly themes in the music but they're not always as clear 
Right. It's, I mean, it's not like Williams, who's writing a very clear, like, bum, bum, ba da da da, but you know. Right. What were you right. going to say? No, it, it's, it's definitely more ambient than melodic. Um, and, and you could tell that for, for season four as well. Uh, I, I picked out a certain song actually in season four. Um, I'm actually glad we're talking about this show because there's a lot of significant pieces in this yes, there show, are. you know, for, for different people. Um, but it's called the Diana effect. Yes. Bro. I yeah. was, I was, I was, I, I could feel like the energy because yes, very much. It's like that swell. Diana had so much influence, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. It, it's a huge, it's like a um, uh, Blade Runner swell. You know, it's like a synthetic buildup. Yes. And you can like hear this choir in the back and you're just like, there's that youth that I want to feel in that music. And, mm-hmm. then, you know, you just see her like, cause she had such an impact on everybody. And, and Martin like just pounds it out, dude. It was so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, what's funny is also there's a lot of power in absence of sound, right? And that's yes. part of a soundtrack, right? Is knowing when not to put in something big, not to, and that's also part of a, um, a, a director's job in this case, which is not so much music, but you know, there are certain scenes where you don't want music and the right. director has to, or the composer has to know, I'm not gonna write anything for this scene because they want silence. Right. Like the, the biggest thing I can think of is, um, did, you, did you finish season four? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. The uh, the scene at the like one of the very last scenes in the last episode yes. where she finally because you because you want her to tell him off this right. whole time <laughs> and when she finally yells at Charles at the end uh, the the queen there's I if I recall correctly there's no music in that scene uh, at all right and even after he leaves I still don't think there's any and then I think the next scene it picks up but you're like holding your breath. And in that case, you know, the music usually adds tension, but in that case, I feel like it relieves tension. It relieves tension. Yeah. Which does. is funny. Cause I wouldn't call any of the songs he writes. Maybe not. Well, calm's not the word, but they're all, they all have tension in them. But for that particular moment, even a tense song can relieve the tension from the previous scene. You're like, Ugh. <laughs> things were bad in that moment. Yeah. You're right. You're exactly right. I mean, and, and that's, that's the beauty of it is you know you did a good job when you don't even have to write anything <laughs> yeah, right exactly does something to the audience um yeah man and, and the, the other the, what i thought of was um interstellar oh yeah that planet with the water and the massive waves mm-hmm. uh basically hans does this little tick 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 mm-hmm. does this tick 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 and at the very end of that scene you know when they're they try to have to they have to get in the ship before the wave comes. And so he uses that tick and just emphasizes it towards the end. But it starts it off with just one, like a little ticking sound. No music, just a tick. It just builds it up to where we're, we're all just gasping our breath for air because it's so powerful. Right. Yeah. You know who else I find does a very good job? Um, Michael Giacchino. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like he's often underrated because he sort of falls in the shadow of a lot of these people. And he, I feel like sometimes works with work from other people uh, or has to emulate other people. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he did Rogue One and 
Right. I thought he did a phenomenal job, but you could tell he was trying, he was using his own style, but trying to keep it that you knew that it was still Star Wars. You associate it with John Williams. Yeah. And I know he did uh, the newer Star Trek movies and he was probably trying to emulate Alan Silvestri right. from when he worked on the originals. So I feel like he often gets a little bit, not slighted, but because c- his work is great, but do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. It, 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 I mean, kudos to the guy though. Like, it's not easy to be in the shoes of big composers. Right. And, and, and for him to do the work of, I mean, Rogue One, man, I, I love that soundtrack. Like, you know, because every single time we watch that Vader scene over and over. Oh, yeah. Over, I mean, that, that's all him. That's, that's, yeah, that's all him. I mean, and that's like probably one of the, one of the greatest moments in that movie, if not the. Right. So, I mean, in order to create that and, and, and to have the specific music for it that everybody can recognize, um, I mean, we're talking about even, you know, five, seven minutes prior to the Vader scene. Right. Uh, and, and all the, the whole buildup all the way there and then the massive choir intro. I mean, that's what we remember. And so he right. definitely deserves credit for that, for sure. Oh, I think so. And he does um, a lot of work with... Um with Disney and Pixar, I know as well. I mean, he did The Incredibles, which I think right. is a great soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the I love The Incredibles, so I I mean I like it anyway. That's that's when the xylophone became popular, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the yeah, I know exactly what you mean. That is so funny, and he did just as good of a job on the on the second one. I think you know he was able to keep the feel from the first one. I mean, it's easier when you're working with your own work. Of course, <laughs> of course, yeah. But yeah. that's that's really funny. But you know, I think Pixar, you know, they have some really underrated composers who work on their music. Yeah. Because um, I mean, Randy Newman, who did a lot of the um, early stuff, you know, like uh, what did he do? Bugs Life. Uh, mm-hmm. He did Toy Story, I think. Um, those are really good soundtracks. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, Dan, Danny Elfman too. Uh, oh yeah. There you go. There's another big name. Right. Um, and, uh, want to talk about a specific style. Oh my gosh. I mean, <laughs> he's, I, I would even argue he's, he's, uh, just as if not more, um, unique than Hans. I mean, just because you know, like, uh, you know what kind of a movie he would sign up for. Yes. That makes sense. That's how, that's how specific he is. Um, the, uh, you know what, I'm going to look up this composer real quick. The, the guy that made uh, the Robin Hood theme um, that Disney used back when we had like the whole Blu-ray intro. Uh, Who made Robin Hood? Um, I can't think of it. Prince of Thieves. Uh, I've got it right here. Um, Okay, uh, Michael Kamen. Michael Kamen. Okay, Michael. Yeah, okay. That's a name I haven't heard in a while. Uh, so, so his, I mean, literally nobody knows who wrote it. Right, right. Nobody, literally, he makes this movie. He makes the soundtrack for the movie. Disney later goes like, oh, well, I think we'll use this song for uh, our, our intro theme to, to DVD and Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
nobody knows the song. Nobody's <laughs> nobody literally nobody nobody knows who wrote it. And I'm just like, this is I mean, because everybody knows that song because of Disney. Like the whole Disney intro when they're watching a Disney movie back in like the two thousands mm-hmm. and, and Disney just pops up right before and is like, Hey, check this check Disney out, you know, you know, mm-hmm. where the magic is live and where it is, you know, and they like all have all these movies where Dax is like, we have our heading. And then Peter Pan's like, here we go. And then <laughs> just like, oh my God. I know exactly what you're talking right. about. Right. And that's, that that's is so Michael funny. Kamen. That's all Michael Kamen, dude. <laughs> that's great. I didn't know that. That, wow. That's like a blast from the yeah. past. Yeah. <laughs> it's a throwback that is that's that like when you see the uh you know the, the the loud voice and the coming soon to a theater near you from the yes. vhs tapes yes yes <laughs> <laughs> that's when really funny <laughs> yeah exactly i i see so many things about like you know the 90s stuff and you know we this is i mean a total aside but we are part of a a group of of people who because of when we were born, we don't fit into either generations before or after us. There's yeah. been an interesting look at the at the group of people born from 93 to 97 um, because the, the big defining factor, and I suppose this goes for music too, um, is that we have a foot in the, both the, dig- the analog and digital world yes. because when we were young, it was the tail end, the dying off of analog and cassette tapes and VHS tapes and that kind of stuff, but we're old enough to remember them. And then right. as we got older, yeah. by the time we reached high school, digital was the big thing, but mm-hmm. we had still a, a working memory of analog world. The millennial generation grew up in a totally analog world and gen, uh, generation Z grew up in a totally digital world. Whereas we in this particular group don't really fit. Right. And so I feel like, you know, a lot of this stuff is what that, you know, I feel like it's because of our age. Right. Well, like, like I'm, I'm stuck here with a Nintendo GameCube. Ah, right? that's fun. Yeah. yeah. And, Pokemon and- Coliseum. No, yeah, dude. Oh my gosh, man. Uh, between that, like the the classic Mario Kart. I mean, everybody. Oh yeah, like, oh, that's what's, fun. What's Double dash. Well, oh, what's a GameCube? I don't know what a GameCube. Or, <laughs> or you know, oh, what's yeah. that? Um, and you know, some people will even be like, "Oh wow, well, I had the Atari." <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, "Well, yeah, man." That's really that's that's funny. <laughs> so I suppose in a very roundabout way, I, I probably could have transitioned to this better earlier, but in talking about all these composers, obviously this leads to, you know, when people take their legacy, they admire it, eventually it inspires them to do that as well, much like you. And, you know, you mentioned about your process, you know, your, your compositional process. So I want to ask a little bit about that. How do you choose the subjects to write about? Of course. Because I know one of the big ones that you came up with uh, recently was um, Grogu. Yes. Which, uh, which is very good, by the way. I took a listen to it. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting, actually, because um, it's, a, it's a plethora of different ideas that come together. Um, and the, uh, all right, so the first one, the first album I wrote, um, 
I wanted to have the idea of putting one song as a, as a world of its own, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. I wanted to put, let's say, the first song in there is, is called Being With You. Um, and that was dedicated to my nana who passed away. And I literally, I just wrote it for her. So I, that was one song. Another song um, was about a girl I dated. <laughs> Another song uh, was about going to the beach again. Say that last one you cut out. Uh, going to the beach oh, for okay. a weekend was, was another one. Um, so literally, and I was like, all right, well, how do I want to name this album? And I just, I was like, well, I can do all this stuff or, or anything that happens in this album can happen in one week. So a week's time or one week's time. Ah, very uh, clever. how it came up with that. Um, but uh, in the albums and singles after that, um, I would just literally sit down at the piano and start making a melody. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'd be like, oh, uh, well, well, this could be something. <laughs> mm -hmm. and in the uh, Together We Can album, there's one melody that I use for every single song in that album. So at the beginning, the, the very first song, uh, E Pluribus Unum, which is of course, you know, out of many one for the United States. I, I use a melody that is geared towards the um, bridge, uh, end, climax, climax of the song. And I literally use that melody uh, in, in every single song after that uh, as like a trickle down effect. Mm -hmm. um, the most popular song I have in the album, uh, A Hero's Sacrifice, uh, I wanted to basically um, emphasize the best possible way one person can show love towards another, which is, of course, sacrificing one's life. And so mm -hmm. I wanted to use something epic. Of course, as composers were like, oh, well, choir, easily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the go-to emotive yeah, grandeur. Right? When, when in doubt, use choir. <laughs> um, so I literally at the end of the song, I uh, use strings to to basically push my melody into uh, the the one uh, tune that I was using during the entire album. Because of course, each song has its own unique part. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to so at some point bring that um, one melody into the song and so i was like all right well i gotta use choir here and and i did it and it turned out to be the most popular one i have in the album oh uh, because because of it um every single person that i've heard from well with that album is like you know oh that's my favorite because of how you use the choir how you use the choir how you use the choir so um so yeah and then with gurgu obviously uh i had a friend friend reach out to me he's like oh man you should do your own version of this that's all I needed. Mm -hmm. You're <laughs> like, like, I've been waiting for this. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know what? You know what's funny uh, about that is, um, it takes a lot of of willpower, of course, uh, to compose, as you know, and it takes a lot of uh, money as well. Um, I've noticed that, of course, singles are the cheaper option. Mm -hmm. uh, albums tend to be about a hundred dollars, but with Grogu. I had to purchase a license for every single melody I used in that song. I was going to so, ask about that because yeah. obviously they're pre-existing themes. Of course, of course. Uh, it was it was a learning process, but um, 
through CD Baby, which is the aggregator side I use to distribute all my music. Um, they, the guy, the actual CEO of the uh, company, he, him and I talked one-on-one -on -one about it. And I was able to go through this licensing company called Electric Arts. And uh, they're called Electric Arts Easy Listening. And basically with about $100, $110 per license, mm -hmm. I was able to get all the copyright I needed, everything that was legally required to produce this song. Um, including the title, because it was actually going to be originally just Grogu, and I was going to have Grogu, the icon, as the background, but I mm -hmm. couldn't. I couldn't use Grogu. I uh, like the title separately. I had to use all the themes I had. I was using in the song below the title, as an emphasis for copyright. Right. And I couldn't use Grogu because, according to Disney and Lucasfilm, it's it's a iconic figure, and I can't use any of that um if it's already been copyrighted uh which is interesting because if you type in grogu on spotify there's a couple of artists on there who <laughs> literally use grogu as their um album cover oh that's weird so, it, right and and of course i mean they're cheesy ass songs so i wouldn't even recommend them but still <laughs> um, <laughs> but but yeah it, it takes a lot of work um mm -hmm. get that one single out yeah that's that is crazy i mean i feel like that's the the side of it the business aspect of it that that no people you, people don't generally see they don't hear about right. or if they do it was like it took a lot and you're like <laughs> they're just okay. like oh it's just another song like cool you know which which is what an artist wants is them to just focus on listening to the song not everything else but it's also good for a listener just an average listener to understand um you know for one musician to create a song that's not theirs um and it takes more work than usual and i tried my best to not verbatim use the themes as they're played um you know because because i don't think a lot of people that are not composers um or don't listen to soundtracks you know the whole open the door theme mm -hmm. um, was probably my favorite uh yeah. of how um, Ludwig, he basically used an electric keyboard, which I found on the my Logic Pro X software. And I was like, oh my god, this sounds just like his. Yeah. So I plugged that in, and I know the I found out the melody he used, plugged the strings into where they needed to be, found a little glass bill, and and used that as a little tingly triangle. And I was like, all right, well that's easy. Plug that in. Um, but I wanted the the classic Mando theme that's uplifting. Yeah. I wanted that to be like Grogu's uh, theme because it, it's, it's, you know, it basically represents Mando's hero side. And the only way Mando yeah. is represented as hero side, of course, is through Grogu. Right. So, so that was my whole uh, choice in using those songs. Um, I like the, the recorder sound. Was that because of Ludwig's uh, yeah. recorder that he yeah. uses? Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah, was, it was neat. I mean, the one you used, it was a little bit higher, which I think works because it's Grogu and he's smaller. Exactly. And... That's exactly it. Yep. Okay. Good. I'm glad I <laughs> glad I caught on on that one. Yep. That was exactly happened eventually. Um, yep. yep. And how would you pick those those specific themes to put together? 
I mean, obviously, man, you know, the Mandalorian and Yoda's theme. I can see how those two would go together. Uh, right. Um, I'm really, I'm really glad you're asking these things. Uh, <laughs> I never talk about. There'll it, be a test on this later. <laughs> yeah, I, ne- I just never talk about it to anybody. Uh, so at the beginning, of course, I use the Force theme, mm-hmm. um, and I wanted to start out simple, so use piano there to to build up somewhere. Um, and so I usually do strings after, in this case, I did a cello to move from the force into Yoda's theme. Um, and Yoda's theme, John, he basically does a very hard, uh, cello, uh, viola and, and it's like a much deeper tone because Yoda's older, 800, right. 900 years, you know, but of course, Yoda is a lot younger, so I wanted to move <laughs> that into a lighter setting, right? Um, which is which is why I included the uh, it's it's a Celtic, uh, with, um, Celtic flute. It's a Celtic flute, and I use the Celtic flute basically move that into a higher pitch, um, and then of course, Mando theme comes in, and and I wanted that to be dark. I wanted the mm. Mando theme to be dark, you know, in a, in an energetic moving. Um, I found a little uh, high tap uh, percussion. I didn't want to be iconic, you know, basically representing the whole bump, bump, bump of Mando, but I wanted to be like soft. So the um, theme could overlay that because I wanted the audience to feel more of the theme than the actual thumping, right? Right. Because um, in his theme, that thumping is very pronounced. It's very pronounced. And, and that's what's iconic is the thumping, right? I mean, of course, we hear the music, but the thumping is is what gets everybody. You know, every single YouTuber I see reacting to uh, scenes in the Mando show, they all start like, you know, and that's that's what they. That's what they do. That's what, <laughs> um, so I wanted to do something different with that, and I did. Um, and I, I used the Force theme towards the end of that Mando theme again to reemphasize Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I move into open the door. Open the door is great because it not just included the force theme, but he also used the a, a, a different vibe towards Mando and Grogu's relationship because mm-hmm. that's the theme where we see Grogu touching his face. I mean, that's literally one of the most iconic scenes in Mando, right? Right. So I wanted to use that same theme somehow, and I and I climatically raised that into the um, the ending, which is actually the my favorite um, part because I wanted it to be like youthful but powerful. Right. And of course, how do composers do that? Choir. I found a uh, an African. Um, uh, uh, choir setting and basically uh, used an electric keyboard as um, as a higher pitch and just used a three chord melody in the background used a trumpet and Celtic um, uh, flute as the main melody pronouncers and then uh, of course low drum percussion as an epic way to pound it out Mm-hmm. But in the choir, dude, I just I was just pressing one note the entire time. <laughs> like the offbeat, it was just it it went in really well. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's, yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, 
No, I mean, I, it worked really well. To, it was like a very organic feeling. And I was curious how you would put those particular themes together. Because I mean, obviously, from sight, you know, looking at the titles, you could obviously see how Yoda's theme would connect to Mando, would connect to Open the Door. I mean, because they do fit together. But from a compositional standpoint, you know, how do you, how do you weave them together specifically? Otherwise, it's just, you know, splice the clips together and put them, right. which is not what you want to do. Right. Um, which again, I think even when medleys are put together, written by somebody else, which I don't know that I'd call this a medley, but I'll say that for lack of a better term. Um, I think people underestimate how difficult it is to do because they think that, oh, well, the, the track exists already. Right. And, you know what I mean? Right. right. And, and most of the time, man, I, like I didn't print out any sheet music. Mm -hmm. So for the force theme, for the Manda theme, like all that, I just, I did it by ear. So yeah, I, I could <laughs> power to you. <laughs> it's, 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 it's awful. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I put the, I put in the notes. I was like, all right, so this is how we played it. And then I, I'd raise it into another um, uh, uh, transposition. I would basically transpose his original melody uh, to basically Let's say, all right, I used the force theme in D major, okay? So I would transpose his theme and be like, all right, well, this chord fits better with the chord I used for the force theme, and then I moved that into whatever chord basically would fit another theme and another theme into the theme I used before. And it sounds complicated, but it, it, it fits if, let's say, you use, you start from D, end in A, okay, well, that would go into an A minor chord, right? Mm -hmm. So use A minor, and then, oh, well, the fifth, my pinky is landing on E, so let's go right. into E major. Stuff like that. Interesting. Yeah. So were any of them in their original keys? Uh, yes. Um, uh, open the door was in its original key, and the mana theme was in its original key. The force theme and Yost theme were not. What and keys were those? Um, so the force theme was in D major. The mm -hmm. original key is... Um, uh, B major, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's awful. I was like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> that is not, as a clarinetist, that is not a key we want to play in. Oh my, it's all, it's literally, dude, my worst. I hate that key so much. Um, and then, uh, what was it, the fourth theme? Uh, Mando, yeah, Mando was in its original. The last, after I opened the door, that section of Mando was not in its original key. Because I used that key from Open the Door. So Open the Door, the key of Open the Door, um, which, which is, uh, I'd like to say E major, um, I used that one for the last section of that Mando theme for mm -hmm. the end of the song, which really fit well. I mean, because all I had to do was just um, go into third position, and it was just right there for me. And I was like, <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it worked out. That's funny. Uh, so all of this is sort of, uh, you know, we've, we've been talking about, you know, music in a more concentrated way, but I suppose here's a more philosophical question for you. Um, why do you think people write music? And you sort of touched upon it earlier. Um, well, why do you think people write music? And then why do you personally write music? Yes. Um... I, I think people write it um, for two reasons. Uh, mm -hmm. The first reason is to 
get their point across, mm -hmm. um, whatever it may be, because if somebody can't vocalize something to another person, um, as composers, our avenue is to write it through music and to pronunciate it that way. Um, so if we're trying to get, if we're trying to tell somebody that we love them or we, we hate them, you know, as composers, it might be to sing it or to write it. Um, and and, that's and how use that choir. Works. Right. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Um, the second reason is uh, to have a safe haven in another world. Um, and, and I can, I can easily tell you, um, and, it, and it, it might sound ego of me, but I, the, the little things, that little piano uh, song I wrote. Um, so at the very end, I, I use a lot of um, instruments all at once. And that's basically my way of hiding myself in, in a cave, a musical cave. But, but I just felt like in a song, you can, you, in a song you can do anything you want. Right. Um, and in that song, it, it was my way of being like, well, um, the piano is for you guys. <laughs> yeah. And the end of this song is literally just for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but it might please the ear for other people. But, but in my mind, it was like, I love this sound and I'm going to use it no matter what happens, no matter what people think, and it's just going to flow. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it could definitely be a safe haven for, for musicians to write music as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just I always find it interesting, you know, people's own personal, uh, what's the word, personal reasons, I guess, for writing, because, you know, you look through history, you look at people who composed, and you say to yourself, okay, well, there was a time where they composed, you, you assume they enjoy doing it, but it was a job, right? They, that was their job, like, you look back at um, Bach or, um, you know, who else, uh, trying to think the people, right? You know, maybe a high, uh, well, hiding a little bit, but Mozart, like, mm -hmm. like, look at Mozart. He couldn't stop writing. Right. And that, that was, I mean, <laughs> he tore relationships apart because he would just sit there all night, like writing an ink to a paper and that's right. all he did. And, and, um, I mean, some people are wired that way, but, but it's, it's crazy the the dynamic of composers and how they think. Sure. Right. I mean, I'm, you know, thinking even farther back from him because uh, Bach was about 50 years earlier. Well, uh, maybe a little more than that. Um, he wrote because that was like, he was, he was paid to do that. Right. And every week he had to come up with something else because he wrote for a, a local church and that was his job. Come up with a, come up with a piece for mass every week and we'll pay you for it. So for him, he was pumping them out very you know, methodically. And you wonder, were those really the things he wanted to do, you know, or was he composing things that he knew other people wanted to hear or expected to hear? That makes sense. Because Mozart, we know, I mean, he wrote what he wanted to or what he thought was, what he thought was good and he didn't really care about what other people thought. Right, he just had a natural gift. Right. Well, on, right. On top of that, yeah, it was right. everything he happened to write, people enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, I mean, and that's my goal for music is, is to create something that people enjoy, that people can just relax, sit back in a chair of and just listen to, forget about life for maybe like two minutes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but besides everything else, that's literally my primary goal in creating music is to just 
allow people in general to enjoy it for sure. Right. And you know, there, there are composers now who that's not their, um, my God, it's snowing again. Sorry. <laughs> I'm over this. Um, there are people who that's not their goal, right? So they, you know, you look at a Steve Reich from the sixties or you look at, um, I'm trying to think of someone more recent, uh, maybe like a, Oh gosh, I can't even think of can't even think of someone off the top of my head. He's the one that stands out to me, but he wasn't writing his music because he thought people were going to enjoy it. His was a very academic, a very like he wanted people to think while listening to it. Um, or like a John Cage who did his, you know, I, I hesitate to call it stupid, but the, you know, open the piano, the four four minutes and thirty-three seconds or whatever it is. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that piece, but um you know, it's like, okay, I could see what you're, what you're going for if that's really <laughs> why you wanted to do it, but right. <laughs> I don't know how much motivation that is. Kudos to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, well, I could sit there opening the piano and just sitting there not doing anything for four minutes and 30 seconds. Open the piano. <laughs> Close the piano. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally understand what you mean. And there's some people who are like the genius. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Um, all right, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have a little bit of a music little uh, trivia quiz for you. Awesome. And if you would be so kind as to read the handles for this podcast, I would be most appreciative. Yes, yes. Um, so for uh, for YouTube, uh, of course, Music Speaks podcast uh, through the uh, search bar. Um, TikTok will be at music speaks uh, underscore podcast all lowercase. Um, you can visit them on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter being at music speaks underscore pod, uh, Instagram, uh, music speaks uh, underscore podcast. And uh, of course, Facebook through the search bar music speaks podcast. Grazie mille. A thousand thank yous for that. We will take a quick break and be right back. All right. And we are back with Joseph and his last segment here. Uh, but before we do his quiz, I know that there was, a, um, there was a subject you wanted to speak about, which was the book that you're writing. Yes. Um, so at first I, I was you know, on speed to, to write a book about uh, clone trooper segments and documentaries on the, the lives of clone troopers during the Clone Wars. Um, Spanning from 19 BBY to, uh, or 22 BBY to 19 BBY. Okay. Um, and, and it was, it, it, there was a lot of positive feedback for it and I was on board. So I basically contacted Lucasfilms about it. And after a long uh, heated discussion, um, they told me that there was no possible way that they would ever accept a piece of work uh, from somebody that did not work for them. So, so I basically had yeah. to, had to, which is, which is understandable. So I basically had to, uh, throw that in the trashio. Um, <laughs> and so now I have a plan B, um, which is, you know, I'm actually going to create a theme for this eventually, uh, when I'm done with it. Um, and the release this date is set for 2022. Mm -hmm. Um, it's going to be called perspective. Um, and it's going to be about, uh, something totally different than star Wars, uh, actually, it's going to be placed in the Civil War, American Civil War. I'm a huge history buff, uh, especially in that time period. 
Um, and it's, it's going to be about a, uh, a Southern boy uh, who was raised by his aunt, has no knowledge of slavery uh, because his aunt never said anything about slavery to him. Um, and on his way into town uh, in the forest, he stumbles upon a uh, runaway uh, who happens in his eyes to be the most gorgeous girl ever in the universe. And uh, they end up having uh, a relationship, um, but it happens to be in a time where that is a hundred and ten percent unacceptable. Mm -hmm. um, so, so it's 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 something I'm really really excited to be writing about. Um, there's a lot of intense uh, scenes in this book, so I'm just yeah, it's gonna be great. Gonna That's be great. pretty cool. That's a, but a, but a completely diverged uh, story. So, did yes. you have this this concept in mind already? Yes. Yes. I, uh, I had a, definitely a plan B um, going into this because I was very skeptical about the whole Lucasfilm um, publication. I already researched a couple of, you know, how to write a Star Wars book in Google, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so uh, a couple of authors already submitted segments that idea because of Lucasfilm's history of just... Um, you can't write a Star Wars book unless you are a part of Lucasfilm itself. So, well, given the uh, history with the uh, EU prior to the Disney buyout, I mean, they had there was so much material out there right. that was quote well that that now you would consider not canon. Right. Um, I imagine they're probably trying to avoid that now, so everything is streamlined in order to keep with the continuity. Right, because because we see, um, and it's called the Del Rey books, right? Mm -hmm. um, all, every single legend that was ever written prior to all of this is now considered not canon. Correct. Right, and 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 so you look up a Del Rey book, and Del Rey books are now considered Star Wars canon. Everything that's along these lines of a Del Rey book that you know Thrawn, all the Thrawn books. Um, all of the uh, Empire books, but the before and aftermath, you know, the segue into Jakku, the Battle of Jakku, everything beforehand, how the Empire stayed alive after the Battle of Endor, all these books that were written, you know, uh, Ahsoka, as long as they're entitled to whatever has been put into canon and they just basically narrate a deeper story of that canon, mm -hmm. that's what a Delray book is. And these authors are all a part of that Lucasfilm universe. They've been in that universe. They're going to stay until that universe dies out. Basically, you can. There's no way an, an author who is not credited, who is not, um, uh, who is not Star Wars related, they cannot write a Star Wars book. Right. Which all probably boils down to they're trying to avoid. Um, well, one, it's a copyright thing. They, you know, it's their characters. They just, you know. Um, but also because when they were trying to make everything canon, they had to sift through all the, you know, the hundreds of publications that yes. people had done under like Dark Horse Comics and, um, uh, some of the other novels that are probably not canon. Um, right. so I could see that, but I'm glad you had the, I'm glad you had the other idea on the back burner though. Oh, well, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, it, I, I, I talked to a lot of people, man. I mean, I emailed um 
you know, the chief director for digital arts with Lucas and, and I, with Lucasfilm. And then I did the same thing for, for Star Wars itself, um, for Disney. Um, and then I went out of my way and, you know, looked up some cover, uh, some book cover artists, you know, cause people literally have their own, um, profession and business and just designing book covers. And so oh, yeah. I looked up the people in charge of writing some Star Wars book covers, emailed them. We'd have a you know, civilized discussion about all that. And it was literally the same direct line of don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. So <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> that's, that's funny. What about the, um, what about the civil war time period interests you? Uh, the, the, the plot of both, uh, Union and Confederate sides. Um, what drove the soldiers to fight? Because there were a load. There were loads of different reasons. Mm -hmm. um, I know in the South, the 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 concept is you know of course uh, slavery, right? And and a lot of people in the South are going to be like, oh well, we didn't. We just we fought for states' rights. Well, it's the the already perceived notion mm -hmm. that we want slavery but it was in a society that already supported per slavery. So when the Confederate States, you know, seceded from the union, it was already supplanted in that society that slavery was needed. So mm -hmm. a soldier didn't have to think, oh, I need to fight for slavery because that was already in their norm to, mm -hmm. to a society that they believed was normal. So they didn't have to fight. For, it was just like, oh, well, I see an opposition, an enemy coming down to have battles on my homeland Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee. Right. I mean, we only see like two or three battles in the North. Everything happened in the South. So my, my interest is explaining a life or lives that were affected in the South, but had no concept or idea of the actual normality of that society. Well, it's very interesting. It gives a gives a perspective to it that um, might be one for that's difficult for people to understand. I mean, let's say, um, let's see. Let's say I'm born in 1920, right, or, or mm -hmm. you know, 1920s, early 1920s, um, and I'm born somewhere in Minnesota. Okay. Um, And it's backwoods. Uh, don't go to the city light unless it's you know, necessary. Great Depression happens. I'm uh, not really affected because I was I was you know born. My my both of my parents died. I'm living with my aunt, and she doesn't want to tell me everything that's going on in the world. So I lived through the Great Depression without any harm or worry because she is self-sufficient. She does everything herself. Grows her mm -hmm. own crops. Don't have, don't have anything to do with it. World War Two comes around. Um, I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm just now hearing about this. Uh, there's nobody that comes to her, um, little island in the middle of the woods. Uh, so first time I go into town, I just read the newspaper and, you know, apparently Hitler is invading, uh, Poland. So that's great. Um, stuff like that. Right. You know, it's um, a very detached life. One yeah. that might, you know, people would say how outrageous for them not to know, but especially during that time period. And if you go even farther back to Civil War time, even more understandable to be disconnected. Disconnected, exactly. Um, and, and, but it's a perceived notion of, you know, 
how can one per you know how can one person raised without knowing this culture but raised in a moral compass lifestyle have an attitude towards something in his society that that they deem an enemy or or an alien or property right mm-hmm. for the fact that you see a southern man fall in love with what his own society perceives as property that's where i feel like this book could really uh grapple attention yeah it could and it, it's obviously very uh relevant right now yes um, exactly exactly so it, it, you know i feel like it you could get a lot of uh you could turn a lot of heads with it given the time that we're in um right. sort of like a not a parallel at all but the <laughs> um what's what i'm looking for the uh the awareness could, the it, awareness it, it, of the issue it's not parallel but it's a uh, yes it's an awareness yep yeah yep, so similar. that's very cool and you'll have to you'll have to give us information on when that's going to be happening you said 2022 right yep sometime in 2022 no official date yet but that's the uh, the setting for it yep very cool all right now what i'm going to do is here is your quiz if you're ready for it i'm ready I got all this. right yeah, so what it is is i'll give you a title of a of a sound of a track Okay. From Star Wars. And you have to tell me when, not necessarily physically when, but like what movie do we first hear it in? Okay. All right. All right. There's five questions. I don't personally think they're too hard, but I don't know. All right. Ready? All right. Number one. When is the first time we hear Yoda's theme? Uh, Empire Strikes Back. Very good. And if anyone can see, I'm actually wearing a shirt with that right now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which no one can see because it's just voices, but that's okay. Um, All right. Number two. When is the first time we hear Han and Leia's love theme? Ooh. Ooh. I'd actually like to say Empire Strikes Back as well. You would also be correct. Yes. Very nice. I thought Shout maybe you. I thought maybe you might life. think it was because I actually at first thought it was in an, um, a New Hope, but it actually isn't. Well, it was Bespin, right? Yes. Well, actually, <laughs> actually, the first I think the very first time we hear it is um, when they're in the crater, getting away from the Empire, which they then go to Bespin. Right. Yep. Good point. Good point. All right, number three, uh, Across the Stars. Uh, Attack of the Clones. Very good. Very nice. And for those <laughs> listening, what is Across the Stars? Um, the love theme between Padme and Anakin. Yes. Very nice. Um, all right, number four, The March of the Resistance. The uh, Force Awakens. I think I'm, I'm pretty sure, but tell me if I'm wrong. We hear it first when we have a badass uh, 180 view of X-Wings flying over a lake. Yes, that is exactly when it is. Very good. On Takadana. You are 100% correct. You're four for four. Most impressive, in the words of Darth Vader. Um, all right, and <laughs> I just, okay, made myself laugh. Um, 
Number five is the duel of the fates. Uh, Phantom Menace. Very good. And do you know when? Yes. Uh, when we first see Maul with the dual lightsaber and everybody goes into hyperphalemic shock. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we see Qui-Gon and, and uh, Obi-Wan like, oh, okay, okay, okay. I think we got this. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we're less confident now. Yeah. <laughs> That's yep. really funny. Um, <laughs> all right, you are five for five, and I'll give you a bonus one. Hell yeah. All right, this one is simply called Hope. Uh, in, in what, mo what movie is? Yes, what movie is that in? <sighs> it's it's going to be a wild guess here. <laughs> um, Oh wait! Oh, this is this could this might be a trick question. Hold on. Is it Rogue One? Yes, it is. Very good. Wow! All right. <laughs> nice job. And what is it? It's the uh, the finale song. It uh, is. Yep. And when does it start? Do you know, iconic moment. Yep. When Leia's like, you know. Right, right as Leia looks off into the distance, or, or is it beforehand? It actually starts before that. It doesn't start sounding very hopeful, but it ends with it that. Ends with okay, okay, okay. Um, okay, it, it's it's when uh, we see Vader looking off as the. Well, actually, before like his entrance. Oh, his entrance is the start of hope. Yeah. Okay. Which is ironic, given the given the moment. Right, but... right, 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 right. Because I was listening to the soundtrack and it, um, it leads in from the track called "Your Father Would Be Proud." Proud, yep. Right yep. in, right into that because that track ends with the space view down at the at um the planet, the planet uh, where you see the Death Star explosion. It pans over to the ship where the Empire, uh, the um, is, uh, Imperial ship is going to dock with them, and then you hear the uh, footsteps boarding, in the his boarding party. Yes, his boarding party, exactly. Um, and then, you know, darkness, and then <laughs> lightsaber turns on. So badass. It really is, which they then allude to in yep. Mandalorian when, um, when uh, obviously, Luke shows up. Right, right. It's uh, so iconic. I mean... Because that scene was pretty cool, too. It, it, yes, yes. Um, and it, with reference to Rogue One, it's, it's funny because they actually wanted to have Vader be more violent than he already was. Really? Yeah, they directed it to where he was literally more violent than, than the show, but, you know, classic Disney. Oh, we mm -hmm. don't want to show that. Yeah. But, but just, you know, they were, like, going full out with Vader, dude. Wow, that's, that's interesting. Because, I mean, and even as it was, I think that was the most violent we'd seen him. We've seen him, right. right. Since, uh, I don't know, since Anakin kills everybody on Mustafar. Right, right. That, literally, yeah, those were the, if I were to pick out two, that would be it between that because we don't see younglings getting killed. So <laughs> that would be a little much, perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> possibly. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was very iconic. Um, I mean, because we also see Vader's... The fact that good doesn't always win, because, you know, we see Vader's star story just pop up and like, you know, what's up, everybody? Yeah. And basically tearing down people about to go into uh, hyper... Uh, space and um yeah it was just beautiful very beautifully done
It was. Isn't that nice? The death and destruction is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. We're okay, guys. It's fine. Oh, the bad guys are winning. <laughs> yeah. Look at them. They're running for their lives. Um, <laughs> but like the empire is actually winning something. You know? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know what the funny whole, the whole funny thing about that movie, which I feel like took a lot of people by surprise was, you know what the end result of that movie is. Yeah. Like the, you know that they're going to get away with the plans. And yet from the moment they're trying to beam them away all the way to when he, she actually gets handed the plans, you're like, I don't think they're going to make it. And you know, they're going to. Right. Right. Even though it's like on the brink. Yeah. And, and, and how the planes got transported and how the planes got into Leia's hands were just, it was like, it was so well done. Because you, you just don't think about the one little disc in Leia's hand at A New Hope, how mm -hmm. much thought process went into getting just that little disc. Right, exactly. It's sort of just a throwaway thing because, right. right, it's just a little disc she hands, you know, gives it to R2, and yet the whole thing is about that disc that disc i mean you assume you think about it as it's all about r2 because he has them but it's really that one little thing how did she get that and it's only one line in the opening uh crawl right, right. yeah dude it's crazy crazy <laughs> well joseph i wanted to thank you so much for being on you did a great job you got a six for six quiz i think that would be like uh i don't know is that what is that like uh 105 <laughs> yeah it's like Going to five percent, yeah. Yeah, exactly. A teacher awesome, would put a little man. sticker you. on your on your card. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else you want to say? Any any shameless plugs you want to put in? Oh yeah, man. Uh, just uh, you guys can check me out on uh, on Instagram at uh, djd melvin. Um, my TikTok handle is the same at djd melvin, uh, as well as my Twitter, uh, same <laughs> handle. Everything's the same. Um, my music's on there. My music's on Spotify as well. Apple Music, um, YouTube. Um, my YouTube channel. Just type in Joseph Melvin. Um, and if you if you want to be specific, you can even put Grogu after that, and like that song will literally pop up without any problem. Um, and yeah, and I'll be posting some more updates on that book uh, as well, um, and any other specific singles I might just come up with in the year. So yeah. Hey, you never know. Um, we'll attach your uh, your handles and the um, and the link to Spotify on the podcast. So if anyone is listening and would like to check out his stuff, you can look on the episode and it'll be on there. So that'll be fun. But again, I want to thank you for being with us. You were a great guest. I appreciate it, y'all as well. This was awesome. All right, I will. Uh, those listening, you will see us figuratively next time. <laughs>